G'day Footyology listeners, Roko here. Enjoy our podcast? Well, you can become an official Footyology podcast supporter simply by using the supporter feature through ACAST. There's no subscription or regular commitment, just the sheer satisfaction that comes with knowing you've kept the debt collectors from our door. No, just kidding. It does help though. If you want to get started, you just need to follow the support this show link in the show description. Thanks again. And now let's get on with it. Welcome to the Footyology Podcast with Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. G'day everyone, welcome to Footyology, uh, a very special edition of Footyology in the midst of this AFL marathon that we're having 10 days of football in 11 days. So much we can barely keep up and therefore we thought we would uh, turn two podcasts into one and give you a full Review of round five as he scrambles to remember what number round we're up to and a full preview of round six. Uh, We are doing this in the very short break between those two rounds. Uh, Thus, we are recording on the Tuesday or if you have been watching Fox footy the day they advised you to make sure you took a shower and said hello to your family. And I must admit, it's been a bit like that for me. Easter's a bit of a blur, but uh, too much football is usually um, a very good thing. As I say, welcome to my co-host, Mark Fine. G'day, Roco. Big thank you to everybody down at Andrews Hamburgers at Albert Park for continuing at 144 Bridport Street to make the best burgers in Melbourne. Very. I tell you what, I, I did tweet something about Andrews the other day and uh, I got bombarded with notifications on Twitter from people saying they always pop down there for uh, the best burger in town. There's, they've got a favoured soft drink as well, which is really interesting. I don't know whether they do it on purpose, but it's sort of, of all their cans of drink, there's one prominently on display. And I think we've done this and I think I remember it was Passiona. Because I had a Passiona and a burger the other day, and they just... Compliment each other? Like Rowan Connolly and Mark Fine. And that's compliment each other, not compliment each other. <laughs> My, you're looking dapper today. <laughs> I'm not I'm not feeling dapper. It's been a very, very busy little Easter period. This So uh, 10 days of footy in 11. How, how are you travelling with it, Fine? I indulged in a... I've never done this before, but on Saturday I did the double. I went to Melbourne St Kilda, then I... Met my two daughters at the train station. Um, what's it called? The one used to be Spencer Street. Southern Cross. Southern Cross. And we went to Richmond versus Sydney. So I did the back-to-back double. Yeah, I've done a few of them over the years. I, well, I, I went up to, made a flying trip up to Brisbane for the Brisbane-Collingwood game for 3AW. Came back on Good Friday. Thought I was going to just have a very lazy day and watch the Good Friday game on TV. And then I thought, ah, what the hell, I'll go. So I went to North Essendon, got home in time to watch West Coast Port, uh, watched the three, was it three? Yeah, three Sunday games. Uh, No, hang on. Three Saturday games. Yeah, I'm I'm losing the plot. I went to Richmond City on Saturday night for 3AW, watched the two games on Sunday and, uh, of course, Easter Monday, and today's the day off, and then it all starts again. Just an observation on the Good Friday game. Unfortunately, we've had Good Friday bad football in Melbourne, and I don't think people pay enough creed to 
how important it was that Anzac Day, Collingwood Essendon, got off to a, an absolute ripper with the draw. And yeah. the die was cast that this was a classic battle between two teams. The classic doesn't matter where they are on the ladder. Mm. We're desperate, we are desperately in need of a good, good Friday game because... We are, we are. Although I, I thought that the um, the knee jerk response about should North Melbourne keep Good Friday, I thought that was absolute rubbish. To be perfectly honest, I mean uh, they deserve that occasion, having pioneered Friday football and campaigned for that game for a long, long time. I reckon you need more than one ordinary performance to uh, bring that into question, don't you? Yeah. Look, at least at least we saw one team in full flight. Essendon was a pleasure to watch. They really were. It was good. It was. Like the notion last year that Essendon, when they play their best football, is the best team to watch, was rekindled on Good Friday. They are great to watch, and uh, obviously we're going to preview Anzac Day, but you've got two teams in very, very good form. And, um, you know, as far as setting the contest, um, it's the uh, the appetite is as stimulated as it's been for a few years, I dare say, with uh, the Pies and the Bombers. All right, let's not preamble anymore. Let's get straight into it with a full review of round five. On Footyology, wrap around. All right, it all kicked off in Brisbane at the Gabba on well, last Thursday evening and a huge win to the pies and boy do they look good. 18-15-123 defeating Brisbane, a listless Brisbane, 8 13 61 62 Point victors, the Pies, four to Meyercheck, three to Dagoe, two to Cox, Stevenson, Elliott, Thomas and Brown. And uh, not many goals for the Lions. Uh, McLuggage and Rayner kicked two. Um, yeah, like I said, I did the boundary for AW, so got to watch it at fairly close quarters. Got a tear finey, the Pies, they are red hot. Um, no great surprise given the roll call of talent going through that midfield, but... Gee, their forward line is functioning beautifully as well. And Brody Majek, what a revelation he's been. He was terrific in this game. And to think that you recruit someone out of the VFL as perhaps a um, a spare parts defender who you're probably not expecting to be in your best 22, and then he ends up becoming a key forward, almost played in a premiership side last year, and he appears uh, at the moment to just continue to be continually improving. So the combination of that midfield and that forward set up and a very, very handy defence, they are looking terrific. I think it would surprise most AFL supporters, not Collingwood supporters, to know that he's still rookie listed. Mm. He's not even on their main list. Well, there's effectively not a lot of difference now. No, there isn't, but it just shows how his AFL career has ignited sort of before... It's come before he's been recognised with a long-term contract, and I'm sure that's in the process of being done or it's been done, and next year he'll be on the main list, and a senior footballer he is, but... You're right. I remember him playing in a Port Melbourne Grand Final as a defender and Mm. playing really well, being the reason why they won that Grand Final about three years ago. I was surprised that the clubs passed up on him. And when Collingwood picked him up, I thought that is a good pickup. But I never imagined that he was a forward because he simply didn't play as a forward for Port Melbourne. He's got a great pair of hands, a decent tank for a forward. 
and his second efforts are as good as any forward in the game. You can't ask for any more. You can't. Uh, what about their midfield? Because I'm, I'm just having a look at a, a rundown of the best um, as voted by the AFL website and Trelaw, who was terrific, class act. Uh, Dane Beams, uh, really good game against his old side. And uh, Tom Phillips was really handy too. But no Pendlebury, who I thought was pretty good, and no side bottom in that best, and, and no Adams. And yet, you know, it was still a winning midfield performance. And not to uh, forget the Ruckman, of course, Brody Grundy, who was fantastic. I mean, it's it's an embarrassment of midfield riches, isn't it? And they've got players who play either in defence or in the forward line, the likes of Thomas... Crisp, even Aish. And and Aish is a quietly one of those players who I think he's now elevated to the status of, you know, first selected every week. He's an easy selection because he's a very accountable player, but you could certainly throw him into the middle and not lose anything. Remember that Daniel Wells is mm. poised for a comeback. Yeah. Levi Greenwood can't, can't get a break go. into the team. Last year's grand finalist, Braden Sear, is not a certain selection. I mean, how powerful is that midfield? Yep, uh, there's plenty he'd kill for uh, just maybe even three quarters of that sort of uh, battery. Um, quick word on, on Brisbane, a big reality check for them. Yeah, they've they've found out their forward line was the antithesis of Collingwood's forward line, wasn't it? Because it was you more hope with Brisbane's forward line at the moment than expect. And maybe the same with Collingwood's at time. But Collingwood is delivering. And, gee, it's a week-to-week proposition with the likes of Hipwood down there, isn't it? You just don't know what you're going to get. No, you're right. You're right. And uh, some injury worries too with uh, what looked like reasonably serious hamstrings to Harris Harris Andrews Andrews. and uh, Reese Matheson. So a cue clash coming up for them won't make it easier. All right, let's move on to Good Friday. Rightio, uh, Marvel Stadium, the third of these Good Friday clashes uh, that the Roos are hosting. First one was against the Bulldogs, second one against St Kilda, third against Essendon. Uh, probably saw a better quality of football played in this one, finding, but unfortunately only played by one side. This game was over early. The die was cast. North Melbourne, again, find it very difficult, even when they're up forward, to make good converting, don't they? Their inaccuracy must be really a cause for great concern for Brad Scott, but also Essendon started to bump and run. This is the Essendon we, we like to see, isn't it? The Essendon that comes pouring out of the half-back line, and guys like Fantasia, McDonald, Tipping Woody, your man Mitch Brown, they can get off the leash and get off the leash because when the players are streaming forward with the ball, the defenders are backpedalling and sometimes they're caught like deer in the headlights not knowing whether to approach the oncoming traffic or pick up their man. I I thought that a number of their defenders were just left floundering for most of the evening. Terrific. um, Some of those guys you just mentioned, terrific game from Brown again. Just the amount of territory he covers at times is staggering. Fantasia, class act, just knows where the goals are. McGrath looking better and better as a midfield. But for me, Essendon not lives or dies, but if these, the following three players play at 
90% of their maximum. I reckon nine times out of ten, the Bombers win. And those three are Dylan Shield, Zach Merritt and Dyson Heppel. All outstanding in different ways. I thought Heppel, he has taken the tough side of his game to another level this year. Just throws himself at everything. He's been quite physical. Not in an aggressive way, but just, you know, sort of diving and smothering and knocking the ball forward. Zach Merritt. Um, best game he's played this year. I thought he was narrowly probably best on ground. Used the ball really well as well, which sometimes has been a knock on him. And Shield was terrific. Easily the best game he's played thus far. I think 36 touches. Might have had 10 inside 50s as well. Still to kick a goal. And so some people will still be knocking him. But um, he's a a spark. And just that, that acceleration he has from a standing start. Boy, he's quick. And those three, for me, really set it up and set um, played a real tough midfield game so that um, Essendon could lose the clearance and win the ball back off the half-back line, as you say, and then run it forward. And they smash North on the outside. A play that I think has been... I don't know whether he's been perfectly handled by the coach in his first couple of years of football, McGrath, in as much that do you really want to have a player like that given roles that aren't quite definite. It it reminds me of how Bryce Gibbs started at Mm, Carlton. Yeah. And I I was held some concern, not for his ability, but for him finding his best self on the football field. But this year he does look like a complete footballer, doesn't he? And he seems to be taking plenty of turns in that midfield. Mm. He's kicking goals too, which he wasn't doing previously. He plays forward of centre mm. and that's he, he He doesn't need to be picking up small forwards. He doesn't need to be tagging. He really needs to be a midfielder, potentially a winger under the new, under the new systems, but definitely in the midfield mix pushing forward. And now I think we are set to see 200 plus games of a-grade football. The other guys should get a mention too for the Dons just quickly, uh, Paddy Ambrose. I thought it was one of the best games he's played. Just shut down uh, Ben Brown brilliantly and him doing that allowed uh, both Hooker and Hurley off the chain and allowed them to become more offensive despite the fact they're key position players. So He held his, he held his ground well, Ambrose. I mean, I think Ben Brown tries to move you, move you, you know, with body as well as as much as anything, he's not really a, a side-by-side player, Brown. Mm. But but I thought Ambrose blocked him and held him held him in good position. But I didn't realise he was that strong, Ambrose. Yeah, sort no, of through the legs and through the through the torso. He's, yeah, he's deceptively strong and and got great endurance too. Yep. Uh, where are the Roos? Oh, they're a mess, aren't they? They are. I must say I'm surprised. I thought they'd be so much better than this. I just it, what seems apparent to me is that they don't have any reins to pull. Do you know what I mean? That, mm. I, I was pretty tough on Ahern last week. Yeah, maybe not tough enough. I don't know what he. Look, I don't want to get stuck into one player, but the reason I mention him is because he was the guy that came into the team. Uh, sort of everybody screaming, "Why aren't you playing Ahern?" But there yeah. aren't a lot of other names being mentioned. I think Dom Tyson got injured playing in the VFL. Do you see the VFL school? I spoke to him actually. I spoke to him in the lift on the way down to the car park. He said he tweaked something. I can't yep. remember what the muscle was, but um, yeah, unfortunate timing if that's the case. Did you see the result? Oh, uh, yeah, I watched a bit of it. Yeah. Close to 100 points yeah. they lost by. Yeah. Uh, North are in a world of hurt. Well, Jack Zebel, that's one of the probably the 
the worst games he's played in his career. And when you're getting comfortably beaten at the stoppages, and they are getting comfortably beaten at the stoppages, is there not a temptation to move a former midfield ball back into the midfield? Or is, he, so. or is he permanently cast as a forward? Yeah, now? well, it was surprising. Maybe, yeah, maybe they, th- yeah, I don't know. Yeah, it was certainly one one that I might have pulled out in desperation, I think. A disappointing afternoon all round for the Roos. Okay, still good Friday, but the other side of the country in Perth. I speak, of course, of West Coast game against Port Adelaide. And want an upset? Well, here's a big one. Well, big-ish. Huge, uh, I reckon. Good performance from Port Adelaide. 13-17-95. Smashing West Coast in the end. 8-5-53. A 42-point victory. Good spread of goal kickers for them. 10 in total. No one more than two. Uh, great midfield performance. Travis Boke, Ollie Wines, terrific for them. Um, Pal Pepper, good. Lysette, good in the ruck. Tom Rockcliffe, pretty handy. And for the Eagles, uh, not many fired a shot. One who obviously did, Jack Petrocelli, who finished off with uh, five goals. Geez, quick finding. Yeah, he's very fast, Petrocelli. <laughs> That's going to be a running gag, you can tell. Uh, no, really disappointing for the Eagles. Um, do you think they took this one a bit easy? Well, this season their form seems to be have dipped when the opposition is um, seemingly inferior. They lost the first game to Brisbane. They lose to Port Adelaide. There was maybe a bit of money to be had on the impossible double. Of course, the impossible double this weekend was Port Adelaide to beat West Coast and Fremantle to beat GWS. But mm. if you had a look at the derby... If you had to look at it closely, remember last week you were scathing about Fremantle not scoring. I said they yeah. had plenty of opportunities. West Coast dodged a bullet in that game. Yeah, they yeah. they just got goals when they needed to. It was almost as though Fremantle had become so used to losing derbies that they fluffed their lines whenever the lines presented. But I reckon people who had a close look at that game might have had some trepidation about West Coast heading into this match. And likewise, Port Adelaide against Richmond. Look, Richmond might not have had the personnel, but they certainly had the grand final winning mode, modus operandi back. They, they were back playing that full court press and Port Adelaide battled earnestly in that game. So you're right, maybe not the hugest upset of all time, but that's easy in hindsight. What was not as easy to pick was the West Coast Eagles' failure to ignite up forward. And Jack Darling, does he need his batteries replaced or what's going on with him? I don't know. It's ever since he dropped that mark in the last minute of the grip. Well, at least he got to it. <laughs> yeah, well, that's true. I reckon he must have had one kick or something on the weekend. Was he alive? He, he was very poor. Barras is out for quite a while now. Yeah. And you know what? That makes a difference because they sort of now can lock down on McGovern more easily. Yeah, yeah. It, it reduce, certainly reduces the flexibility of their back line. Yep. Uh, Port, are they the hardest side in the comp to pick? I mean, I, I just find, you know, the times I think, oh, yeah, Port might really turn it on, they don't, and, and vice versa. And you can usually tell pretty early. You know why they are? Look, they've got enigmatic players like Westhoff and Ryder who can be on, but you know, when they're on, they're very hard to beat. Mm. They've also got a, a now not inconsiderable amount of first-year players 
that you expect fluctuating form. So, uh, Rosie, Butters, Dersma. Yeah. These players are going to have their ups and downs. Don't forget Wee Willem. And Wee Willem Drew. Willem who? Willem Drew. They are going to have their ups and downs during the season. So, maybe their their, um, fluctuating form can be attributed to excusable reasons. Well, I think this competition desperately needs a, a little more unpredictability, so <laughs> they're uh, making tipping even harder than it already is. Okay, let's move on to Saturday. Alright, this for me finally was the biggest upset of round five uh, in Canberra, um, which has become a pretty formidable home for GWS, but not on this day. Really good win to Fremantle, who we all know haven't been great on the road of recent times, but they were great this afternoon. 16-10-106, 24-point victors over the Giants, 11-16-82. Solid all day, but uh, a great last quarter. Six goals to one in the final term. Uh, Matera, four. Tabana, three. Uh, Walters, three. Hogan, three. So good spread from their key Goal scorers and uh, Cameron four and Finlayson three for the Giants, seven between them. Still wasn't enough though, and um, full credit to the Dockers. And, and again, I'm sort of starting to think of them in the Port Adelaide mould. You just don't know which version of them you're going to get, but five terrific for them. Walters, all class. Thought Langdon was very good. Tabana, gee, you can miss some doozies, but uh, nevertheless ended up with three goals and uh, some decent work from Hogan too. Between them, Hogan and Tabiner took 22 marks or 23 marks. Mm. Well, that is hard to – that is very hard to overcome in the modern game. If you've got forwards presenting that well, there were a few contested marks amongst them, but or many of them were presented marks, quite a few contested marks actually, so they did both ways. Interestingly, De Boer, who's become really the competition's – most aggravating and successful tagger is he the new Deborish. Is he the new Ryan Crowley? Uh could be. Yeah, could be. Well, he started off on Hill, mm. and at half time, I think they realised that maybe Fife needs some attention, but that was in the end putting fingers in Dykes. GWS hit the front. I think at three quarter time they led. Uh, four close. points. Yeah, yeah four points. I still felt, and this is a game that I was watching sort of at distance but became very interested in as the Melbourne St Kilda game had an obvious outcome. So I was watching the monitors. I felt from what I had seen that Fremantle was still the side to beat because of that marking power. Mm. Now I then watched the game in replay and I was right. That They never look like winning that game actually, GWS. Maybe easier to say when you know the result, but... I just thought that there was a, a a team that was more invested in the contest and had more options going forward. Yeah, well, I mean, looking at the big picture for the Giants, they can't, another side that can't seem to string it together, can they? I mean, they were badly beaten in Perth and they drop a game like this. A bit of a letdown. And yet they win at Geelong. Well, they win at Geelong. Yeah, yeah, because that was the Callan Ward. You know, you you get your captain coming out at three quarter time to address the team, knowing that his season is over, having just missed a season. You know, there must be an emotional letdown. You can't play at that sort of um, emotional level and and with that that commitment to 
your captain and your teammate. You can't play like that for the season. I, I just think we're going to see more of this, that sides that are off by just, you know, 5% might be enough to change the result of a game. And, and Good. you know, it's a Good for footy. testament to the evenness of the competition very quickly. Um, good to see Switkowski bob up with a goal, thus avoiding latrine duty again this week. Switkowski. Not Lipinski, though. No. He'll be peeling potatoes for some time. He's a good Polish lad, I imagine, a good Polish stock. All right, let's move on to a game I'm sure you're keen to talk about at the MCG. Uh, Saturday Twilight game, this one, and what a great result again for the Saints. Definitely the surprise packet of this season thus far. 15-5, look at that conversion, 95, 40-point winners over a desperately disappointing Melbourne, 7-13-55. You watched this more closely than me, Finey. I was on my way to Marvel. I I did watch most of it, and the, uh, the bits I did watch the closest mostly the second quarter. It just seemed like Melbourne were winning the ball well enough, but just constantly turning it over at half-back. St Kilda, when they went forward, uh, couldn't miss. It was pretty simple. It's an indictment on work rate when one team goes forward and they are outnumbered because the opposition gets back in numbers in defence. So St Kilda always seemed to have the extra man in defence. Well, then you think when St Kilda goes forward, Melbourne would have a loose player or have the numerical advantage in their back line, but it seemed as though St Kilda always had an extra player in attack. Now, that can only mean one thing, and that is a midfield and and other players who should be in transition not working as hard as their opposite number. Well, so they've basically been run off their legs for the entire day. One guy I wanted to talk to you about, I mean, we've been obviously very impressed with uh, Gresham this year, we've been very impressed with Billings, who seems to sort of be living up to that billing he had as a junior, but really like the game of Dean Kent against his old side. Yeah, he's been an interesting pick-up, Dean Kent. He was probably, um, if you had to name the team in order as to their security, their their position in the side. He would have come into that game 19th to 22nd. Mm. Such was the sturdiness of the back line. And his con- contribution had, up till the Melbourne game, been like Parker's. It had been more guest star rather than co-star, if you know what I mean. Yeah. Sort of in and out of the game, sometimes importantly, but generally not a consistent four-quarter effort. Well, maybe it was playing against his old team. Maybe it was getting back to the MCG that he's familiar with. But he was able to really put the afterburners on. I think he had, for some of the afternoon, more inexperienced opponents, either, you know, maybe a Fritsch or a Marty Hoare. And there was a huge problem that Melbourne had. Jetta wasn't fit Mm. and he shouldn't have played. And Jordan Lewis wasn't fit and shouldn't have played. So in their back line, they had two really exploitable older players. Well, Jetta now, for those not across it, won't be playing for, uh, looks like, at least a couple of months. So massive loss for them. Um, they're just about gone, aren't they? They're 1-4. Uh, I mean, yeah, look, we've seen sides come back from there. Not many, though. And the competition's hotter than ever. And I'll I, tell you what doesn't work. And they've got, told, no, got no confidence. I told you, I, I sort of mentioned last week, Braden Proust at the SCG maybe 
the game started, Priest kicked a goal in the first 20 seconds. Mm. And I guess St Kilda supporters sort of felt, uh-oh, they've got a big forward and St Kilda doesn't have a big defender. But you've still got to be able to cover the ground. And Bruce just, you can't have Gorn and Bruce on the field at the same time. No, particularly not in a side that already, even before you think about those two, isn't, isn't great co- for league not covering. The, they're not covering the ground. Uh, I, I, uh, do you think they're gone? Melbourne. Mm. Absolutely. As a finalist or just as a top four as a As a premiership contender. It's such yeah. an even no, season. I, I, I will not write them off completely. But you need to win. You need to get to the top four. They're not a top four team. Not even close. Yeah, no, I agree. Um, and Tom McDonald, he is, he's like a, he's like a carton of milk three months past the use by date. You just don't want to. You don't want to touch him at the moment. He's off. I don't want to think about that. All right, uh, let's move on, and I'll tell you about a team that is definitely gone. Who am I talking about? I'm talking about the Sydney Swans, who lost again to Richmond, 13-11-89, the Tigers, to Sydney, 10-7-67 at Marvel Stadium, 22-point victory. Not an awful performance by the Swans, who sort of got things going a bit in the last quarter, just wondering to what extent Richmond took the foot off the pedal a bit. But again, every time I see Sydney now, and I've seen them a fair bit this season, they look slow, um, they look flat, but most of all, they look incredibly one-dimensional up forward where it's it's buddy or bust. And, you know, that was, Swan supporters must be tired of hearing that refrain, but it's just so true. And there was one moment, actually, I was doing the boundary. There was one moment when Buddy was off the ground having a rare spell, and I can't remember who had the ball, but you could just, they looked up, couldn't see Buddy, and it was almost like, well, We've got no one to kick to, so we won't bother. It was, it was shocking, and um, there's just no zest about the way they play their footy now. And I think they are gone. You know, you have a look at new forward line setups for 2019. I guess you'd say Cameron and Finlayson is new. Yep, working well. Yep, uh, Rory Lobb and Hogan, Hogan with Tabiner to an extent. McCarthy seems to be working okay. I've got, I really when I watch them play, it looks to me like Franklin and Reed are playing together for the first time. Reed doesn't know where to run. Whenever Reed jumps for the ball and Franklin is planning to go for the mark, Franklin looks angry. Reed ends up further down the field than he should be. It's almost as though he's worried about treading on Buddy's toes. I couldn't work out where Reid was playing. That's when I saw him. I mean, he was pretty invisible. I'm saying, but he ended up on the wing sometimes. Mm. In the last quarter, there was one piece of play that should happen all the time, and that was Buddy set himself for a mark, and Reid floated in front of the pack and took the mark. Mm. Now, that should be exactly the sort of two-man um, advantage that those players have because the opposition defenders do tend to focus a bit on Buddy mm. and Reed should be able to float in and take marks. Of course he missed the goal but that doesn't matter. It was the only time this season I think I've seen it happen. One of the things that's really hurting the Swans is the fact that you know if you go back a year or two years they, they've been talking a lot about you know injecting some more pace and youth into that midfield mix but Heaney now has become indispensable up forward because of the struggles they've got that we just talked about. Lloyd does seem to, seems to do a lot more of his work uh, back of centre. Back yeah. of centre. 
Um, he gets a lot of cheapies. Plus, the guys that were sort of holding the fort aren't what they were. And Josh Kennedy, and look, he still picks up plenty of the ball, but he just doesn't have the impact he, he used to. And to point that out, and I haven't seen the um, the KPIs for round five yet, but I know that at the end of round four, the Swans were 17th for contested ball and 17th for clearances. And um, they've had their issues with clearances before, but as a contested ball team, that's unheard of for them. So they've got no outside game, and now they've, they've lost their inside game, which doesn't leave much. And the other thing, coming into this season, they had a couple of players that I thought were on the verge of becoming top liners. Now, Callum Sinclair has not imprinted on any of the five matches as he did last year. I don't know how many goals he's kicked this season, but they it'd be sparse. Mm. You know, you could count them on a butcher's hand. But Alira Lear, who I thought was really ready to take the game on, I think he's trying to cover too much ground. I, I like him in the centre of defence, anchoring the centre of defence, intercepting, marking and spoiling. I worry about him when he's on the wing trying to set up play as a link player, which he did on the weekend, and it doesn't work. Quick word on the Tigers. Great to see Dustin Martin in full flight. Yep. Four goals, 25-plus possessions. Yep. Pretty powerful game. You Shane, know who, you Shane know, Edwards played brilliantly again. You know who I reckon is... is oh, it's not a great revelation, but I, I think this guy is really important to them. They just look... They look more potent and they look more flexible when this guy plays. Josh Caddy. Oh, yeah. Mm. I mean, you know, Josh Caddy, they've had the luxury of placing Josh Caddy in the forward line, knowing that if they can isolate him one-on-one, he's so strong-bodied that the modern defender needing to be so mobile just doesn't have the physical core to go one-on-one with him. You know, the modern defender is a lean, mean running machine, isn't he? Mm. Well, Josh Caddy eats them alive. Yeah. You know who is important for them every time I see them, which is... Every game so far is uh, Noah Bolter. He's but yeah, he was. Uh, he kicks goals. He, yeah. he he can it's pick mobile. up. Yeah, he can pick up a, a tall forward. Yeah, he can ruck. He's a good you, spare parts man. I'll tell you who else I like: Short Stack. Geez, good Sydney Stack is it? Mm. Now, how's that for a pickup? Especially when, look, you lose somebody like Jaden Short for a sustained period. Different players. Short's a, a long kicking defender, but you get somebody outsized in almost every contest who can defend tall and small. What a and you just wouldn't imagine Sydney Stack as a key defender, but he almost plays as a key defender. Yeah, he's got good intercept marking ability. Oh, he's a hasn't ripper. He? No, they're back Sydney in, should have picked him up. Back in town the Tikes. No worries about that. All right, let's move on to Sunday. And the drought was broken. A uh, lot of talk during the week about how Carlton was travelling, and uh, as often happens when it gets to that point, they found something. And in the end, a, a thumping victory, a 44-point victory over an incredibly disappointing Western Bulldogs. 15-11, 101 the Blues. First time they had broken 100 points since, I think it was June the 7th, 2016, uh, to the Bulldogs, 7-15-57. Uh, four goals to Harry Mackay, very impressive up forward. Three for Levi Casbolt, who um, came in. Was he the late inclusion for Charlie Kerner? I think he was. And uh, a good spread of goal kickers for them. And the Dogs, 
Well, they just couldn't hit the side of a barn. 7.15, not just kicking for goal either. Some incredibly sloppy kicking around the ground and fumbly. Um, and, uh, you know, the Bulldogs of the first two weeks were pretty impressive. The Bulldogs of the last three have been terrible, I reckon. Um, more on them later, but we should talk about the Blues. It was a, a real breakthrough win for them, and I think easily the most pleasing aspect was the game of uh, Sam petrovsky Seaton. So far and away, the best game he's played for him. He was terrific. Yeah, four-quarter efforts have not been the hallmark of his game. He's certainly shown flashes of brilliance, but... If he can put together four-quarter efforts like that, he becomes a very valuable player. I love Zach Fisher. Yeah, I like him. Yeah, isn't he good down at the down at the coalface? Yep. A, a mini media box here that I'm going to throw in a huge clip for eleven sixteen SEN. My old alma mater. Last night, late last night, and I know that they have a penchant for replaying programs. They thought it was suitable to replay a program that was a review, a preview of Carlton Bulldogs and a sort of a, a, a frank assessment of where Carlton was going wrong and it was scathing on Carlton's dysfunctional forward line. Now, that sounded pretty stupid the day after, uh, a full you know, a full 24-plus hours after Carlton had won and finally kicked over 100 points. I mean, it was just sounded ridiculous because they were talking about how Levi Casbolt continues to be a non-scoring forward. Well, how beautiful was that goal he kicked in the last quarter to, to seal the deal from 50 out on a nearly on the boundary, you know, at the, at the junction of the 50-metre line, the boundary line. And they were critical of um, not Harry Mackay, but how wide he's pushed and how he can't get in amongst the goals. It was silly radio and just highlighted the potential, the potency potentially, of that Carlton forward line. Yeah, no, when it clicks, they, they look... There's um, a bit of marking strength there, isn't there? Yeah, and it's funny how... Uh, Cruiser help too, by the way. Could do another media watch here, but I won't name names on this one. Uh, someone who uh, had to do a little bit of backtracking about their quite uh, forceful criticisms of a couple of individual uh, Carlton players. I wanted to talk quickly about the Bulldogs. I've actually written a column on the Bulldogs, uh, which depending on when you hear this, uh, will be on Sporting News, um, but it'll also be up on Footyology from tomorrow morning. I reckon they've got off lightly. I, I must say, I, I, you know, there's a lot going on, and Melbourne and North are in the blowtorch, but they got thumped by 44 points against a side which had won three of its previous 36 games. Their skills are awful. Now, I don't think the Bulldogs are being hard enough on themselves about their the scale of their decline since winning the flag. It was 49 games ago. They've only won 21 of those 49 games. They've still got 14 of the 22 premiership side on the books. They've still got uh, just on half the list that they had in 2016, still at the club. Um, but where they have, and you can see where the hunger falls away, is that contestable. They were number one in the league for contestable in 2016. They were eighth in 2017, 16th last year. Now, they've lifted that a bit, but they're still mid-table. Um, and when you think about the amount of players out of that premiership side who are still there, how many of them are better players, if at all, uh, than they were three years ago? And To me, they just look like a whole club that is still sated by that inc- admittedly incredible 
flag win, one for the ages. But um, don't you want to be more than that? Don't you want to be more than a one-hit wonder? And at the moment, they look the essence of mediocrity. Another alarm bell for me with the Bulldogs is a couple of players that they felt were not um, were not committed to going forwards with the Bulldogs. I know you're going to name here Stringer and Dowhouse. And Ruffhead. Yeah. I mean, these were guys that were... First of all, with Stringer, you've got a player who was a, 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 a real star turn for the Bulldogs when right. And it was all between the ears for him, of course. Mm. But why did the Bulldogs believe that they'd got the best out of him? It's a pity, because he hadn't been there very long. He goes to Essendon really on, you know... On his last legs, if you believe the Bulldogs. I mean, he left the Bulldogs in, I'm not going to say disgrace, but in in less than savoury circumstances. Well, he looks like a totally committed footballer in red and black. Dalhouse is very important to the to the revived Cats. Rough, yeah. Roughhead will be picked every week for Collingwood. Well, speaking of Collingwood, that, what you're just talking about there, sort of reminds me a bit of the cultural revolution Collingwood had after 2010-2011. And a lot of people were saying these same things. So, look, maybe in the long term it'll be seen to be justified. But I reckon at the moment they don't have uh, they don't have the quality there to be able to be that sort of, not flippant, but um, to be able to divest themselves of that level of talent without really thinking long and hard about it and I'm just doesn't look like they really have thought those couple of decisions through. Alright, let's move on to the eighth of nine games. Well there's only one story from this one. Adelaide uh, back in town uh, with a comprehensive smashing of Gold Coast 1811 119 73 point victors over the Suns, 6 10, 46. Riding, well, actually, I was going to say riding was on the wall early. Uh, Adelaide were only five points up at the first change, but the riding was certainly on the wall at half time, by which stage the Suns had still only kicked one goal. The story, of course, Eddie Betts, 300th game, six goals. He was terrific. And what about that last goal he kicked? And you just, you no, just, not, no, 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 you, no, no, no. Hang on, just well, let me have my bit. Uh, you knew he was going to kick it as soon as he took the ball on the boundary line. Yes. Look, it was a very good goal. So what are you no, 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 knowing about? I can't believe the the singular notion that this is the goal of the year. It's going to be goal of the year. Oh, I no, it's not. No, not you. But I'd sound like you were poo-pooing me. But has it, I saw it, first of all, on the AFL website. Is this goal of no, the year? No, it's not. And then they run with it on AFL 360. Oh, it's going to be goal of the year. Oh, who was that? You were just imitating. Jack Rewalt. Um, he was on it. He was guest hosting, wasn't he? Yeah. I saw, I saw a little bit he of He was it. very good, by the way. Was he? Yeah, very good. Really, Articulate? Extremely so. Mm. I don't even think that's... He was. He was really good. No, no, I'm, I'm not... not I'm, I, no, I think Jack Rewalt is really articulate, and perhaps there was a point of difference there. The... <laughs> the um, that was a that was a very nice goal. It was a fumble by the Gold Coast player. The ball yeah. landed in his lap, and from 
Okay, okay, okay. But I'm just saying, but hardly from the impossible angle. I know, okay. He snapped a goal. I agree with you, but let's not split hairs about media overreaction. Let's talk about Adelaide and Gold Coast. Okay. Because I've got a goal that's coming up in the next game that was the best piece of commentary I've heard in years, so I'm not going to mention it. You just wanted to do an hour-long media watch this week, didn't you? No, 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 no. Talk about the Suns and the Crows. All right. In a year where it's been hard to pick winners, this game screamed flat-track bully, didn't it? You know, Gold Coast had been up, but their wins had been so hard fought. Well, the the proof of that will be this week, won't it? I'm not convinced it was just flat-track bully. There was a bit of where we're going to get our act together no, but about I think it. a lot of people thought Adelaide would win comfortably. Yeah. Oh, yeah, they did, yeah. So... The Crouchers tend to flourish in those situations. Yeah. The, I'll tell you who, who I really like Tom Lynch as a footballer. Mm. Now he, he's, he's able to be selfless by the end in a fairly me, you know, give it me forward line against Adelaide with players looking to regain a bit of form. Taylor Walker got a bit more of the ball. It was not a bad effort. What about Murphy? He's he's uh, he's a plus for them, I reckon. Yeah, he's a strong-bodied type. Look, they get a bit of a loss with Malera. He's out for a month. Mm. The the spruik on him pre-season was hadn't quite been lived up to. But that's another player out of their best defence with Dode not playing. It'll be a very interesting game. They'll you know they'll face and Kilda. Well, we'll preview that. I'm saying, shortly. but they'll face and Kilda. Which will be a good, honest test because their last effort at Marvel against North Melbourne was putrid. So we'll see whether or not they've learnt. Okay, and the round wrapped up, of course, with what has become an annual Easter Monday blockbuster. The Cats and the Hawks, Finey, and uh, the only reason we don't say no matter where they are on the ladder is because uh, almost inevitably they're up the top of the ladder, both of them. I thought uh, as a Hawthorne-Geelong clash, this followed one of the more predictable storylines in a, in a nutshell the Hawks just missing you know maybe four or five years ago they could have got away with missing this quality of player but not now so no Stratton late withdrawal no Frawley no Burgoyne no Shields uh, in addition of course to no Mitchell um, they are pretty major outs for them and the Cats had shown the better form anyway and, uh, look, credit to the Hawks for hanging in there, I think. They gave the Cats a bit of a fright in the last quarter. I'd, I never felt like they were actually going to do it. It was a bit of a faux comeback, I felt. Um, and the Cats, well, just things keep popping up there that make you think, gee, they are actually going to be a better side than they were last year. And, and yesterday had to be about Gary Rowan. And classic Rowan, I, mean, I, don't, I didn't see how many disposals he ended up with. I'm sure it wasn't more than about a dozen before... Goals, all at important times. And uh, Ablett popping up with three. Uh, Tim Kelly, great game from him. Dangerfield, a lazy two. Stanley kicked a couple of impressive ones. Um, And the senior players stood up at the important times. Selwood, terrific game from him. Kelly, he was good. Ablett, Dangerfield. Dalhouse, we spoke about before in that uh, small forward role. Uh, Gee, they're a pretty good side. They are a good team. They've got around-the-ground... Most most of the necessary 
sort of tools to be the best team in the competition. And by that I mean, look, Hawkins didn't have a big say in the game. Either did Radicalia, but they are two tall targets up forward. Radicalia took a great mark at the end of the game, his first real involvement, but still they contest. At the drop of the ball, you've mentioned Gary Rowe and his first two goals were almost his first two touches within the shadows of half time, a couple of marks. You can't put a price on a beautiful kick at goal and I would say he's the best set shot in the competition. Gee, yeah, he's good. He's I'll tell you who I'd have. Raiders and arrow. I'll tell you I'd have in the grand final against him. Yep. Uh, Waller. Yeah, very beautiful kick tip. tip mm. Mac tip. I agree. So you can't put a price on that, can you? Because opportunities. Seventy eight dollars fifteen. At a fair price too. You, those opportunities are harder to come by in the modern game than they've ever been. Certainly since we've been following the sport, they're. Ability to save the likes of Ablett, Selwood and Dangerfield for non-midfield roles is, it gives the, it gives the Geelong whiteboard more flexibility than any other in the competition. They are more multi-dimensional than they have been, arguably even when they're at their peak, you know, I'm not saying, and I'm not saying this side comes within a bull roar of those sides, but this side has more flexibility than those flag-winning versions did even. And perhaps, you know, perhaps another five, six, seven years down the track, you need that now. Perhaps the Geelonger then couldn't be nearly as good now because they don't have that flexibility, and I think all the good sides are certainly developing it. More than a novel name and a funny hairdo, Grian Myers mm. no, is like a good a pressure lot. forward. Yeah. And he showed on Monday that he actually is very competent in front of goal. Did a little shimmy shake and yep. headed for the goals at one point, put it right through the high diddle dill. He's got a bit of confidence in himself. I oh, like him. Also, a great moment, great second effort from him. He actually stuffed up, kicked into the man on the mark, yep. and then butted up, love that phrase, uh, got on the end of a handball, ran into an open goal in the third quarter. So just quickly, my commentary of the year, maybe the best commentary I've heard for a couple of years. Make it quick. I hope it wasn't the one where BT was trying to talk Tim Watson into thinking Hawthorne were a chance. No, but it was Tim Watson. Because it could Watson. have done without that. I'm pretty sure it was Tim Watson because okay. Ricky Henderson had a a mark or a free kick. It was a free kick, actually. He'd been pushed in the back after the ball went out of bounds by the Geelong defender some 40 metres out on the boundary. Mm-hmm. And he was eyes were darting around. It didn't look like he was having a shot. And then Tim Watson said, I watched Ricky Henderson before the game have oh, yeah, three yeah. shots from exactly this spot, mm. and he kicked all of them right through the middle. Yeah. And then Henderson, almost on cue, slammed it with a banana straight through the middle. Very prescient. It was Gee, good, that, wasn't it? That was a shocking free kick, though. Yeah, it was soft, wasn't it? That was terrible. That was soft. And it could have been a bit of controversy there, but the Cats steadied, uh, as is their want this year, and in the end, a pretty good win for them. All right, there's round five as we pause for breath in this hectic football schedule we are in the midst of. Uh, we're halfway through. That means, of course, it's time to look at round six. On Footyology, previews with Punch. All right, nine games reviewed, nine games now to preview. And round six kicks off on Wednesday evening with the now traditional Melbourne-Richmond Battle of the MCG co-tenants clash. Finey, what do you foresee happening? Yeah, I remember when this used to be the only co-tenants clash in town. That was a long time ago. That was a long time ago, wasn't it? And Melbourne sort of um, were the masters and Richmond were the visitors. Well, 
You can turn that one around, baby, because Richmond are going to own Melbourne on Wednesday night, all things being equal. Look, Melbourne are going to come out absolutely stung by the criticism after their performance against St Kilda. So in close, early, expect Tigers, well, they don't have feathers to fly, whatever, fur to fly, because Melbourne are going to go in incredibly hard from the first bounce. But that's not their problem. Their problem is spread and covering the ground. We know that Richmond are very good at making every contest, no matter where it is on the ground, a difficult one. Melbourne are the opposite. So this game, I think, will start off ferocious and close. And as the night wears on, gaps will appear. And by the end, they will be gaping holes. So I tip Richmond in an exponentially ever-expanding margin. Uh, yeah, I think they're going to win comfortably. You cannot overlook the impact of the loss of Neville Jetta. Um, I mean, he's just been fantastic for him for several years now and uh, a rare bit of stability in a defence which has been under siege at times and uh, now they've lost him. It was a really, really damaging absentee for them. Um, their confidence is low. Uh, Tom McDonald, you said, what has happened to Tom McDonald? He's going to have to go back, isn't he? Because Lynch and Rewalt are going to play. Yeah, and yeah, well, that's another important point to mention. Uh, Trent Cotchin's had a setback, unfortunately, but it looks like Jack Rewalt will be back. Um, and uh, Tigers have won the last couple of these pretty comfortably, haven't they? I remember they ran all over Melbourne in the finish two years ago, and last year they took them apart, really. So uh, I think, unfortunately, Demons uh, more pain, and uh, at 1-5, just about curtains for season 2019. Richmond comfortably for me. And for mine. It'll hark back to the early 70s when I used to watch these games and remember those Melbourne defenders, Woodman and Dullard. Hard, Tony, Tony Dullard. Gary Hardiman. Yep. Fighting a rearguard action with Ray Biffin, but it was all too much, and Richmond's firepower got them home then. And Up against who? Royce Hart, Neil Baum, uh, Ricky McLean. Yeah, there was plenty of firepower. <laughs> Kevin, Bar- Kevin Bartlett. Don't worry. They, it rained goals then, and I fear the same on Wednesday night. All right, back to the MCG on Thursday for the big one, arguably the uh, most keenly anticipated home and away game of the season. Anzac Day, of course, Essendon, the hosts this year, up against Collingwood, and two more informed teams uh, you probably could not hope to find at this moment. What's going to happen? I think uh, it will be very interesting to see to what extent either side attempts to curb the other rather than go out and play its own game and see if that's good enough. Um, I really hope it's the latter, but I just suspect Collingwood, and they can do it. We saw in the way they beat the Bulldogs a couple of weeks ago, they can adapt and play a different brand of football depending on what's needed. Um, We were talking before we started today, finally, about the amount of goals Essendon are kicking coming off the halfback line. So I think it's pretty obvious a key mission for the Pies will be to shut down that amount of rebound. No turnovers. They they want to play like they did against Richmond, which was a high passing game. Yep. And not look, turnovers against Essendon are back to being suicide. Essendon are gonna kill you if you turn the ball over. It's all about how much pressure Essendon can apply to Collingwood's ball you know, talented ball carrying division. Mm. They're really gonna to have to work hard. And to be honest, for the likes of Shield 
and Merritt, who've really hit some form, it's a bit against type because they too are more possession winners than harassers. So they're going to have to put their mind on making it hard for their opposition when they don't have the ball. Yeah, it'd be interesting to see how Joe Danaher comes up for the Bombers. But I think, uh, you know, even without him at his peak, I think Essendon still has a very potent forward setup. But as we mentioned earlier, so do the Pies. And look, if your life came down to which midfield is going to win the midfield battle, uh, as well as the Bombers are going, you'd probably still have your money on the Pies. Just that little numerical advantage. Not a huge one, but enough, I think, in terms of both quantity and quality. Uh, the ruck, I think, could be a real issue too. Yes. Tom Bell Chambers, yeah, he's, he's sort of been a bit up and down, but Grundy is in terrific form at the moment. Pies haven't necessarily been capitalising on his work as well as they should, um, but it certainly gives them a good start. So, look, I, I guess bottom line for me, everything would need to go right for Essendon to win this. Uh, if they can stop Collingwood doing what it does and play to their maximum, they can win. However, that's not how you tip. You tip what is more likely, unless you're an idiot or you need to catch up a lot in the tips and it's too early for being at that desperate stage. Uh, I'm going for a narrow Collingwood win. Scores in this tipping, by the way, Rowan Conley 22, M Fine 27. Okay, let's move on. <laughs> who are you tipping? Essendon's got one chance of winning this game for mine, and that is I think that their forward line almost takes advantage of the 6-6-6 better than any other because so you get it in there quickly and the hard-working Mitch Brown will make sure that at very least the ball comes to ground and there you've got some real advantage takers in Mac Tip and Fantasia. Incidentally, sorry, just before you give your tip, two pretty important ins for the Bombers. Uh, and at this stage, I'm almost 100% though both will come back. Zaharakis and Smith. They are big ins. And do you know who else might be in? Uh, for the Bombers? Laverde kicked six. Yeah, it was his first game back though. Oh, he's... he's he, to me, has that X factor. Yeah, that... he does. He does. Look, it crossed my mind, but um, no? my my sources tell me... Um, Just those two important changes? Yeah. Well, they're, they're huge ins. Yeah, they are huge ins. Well, uh, that, that's interesting. Look, again, I agree with you. If I was chasing a tail in tipping, Essendon's not the worst, worst club to put a Dina on, but... Exactly your reasoning makes me tip Collingwood, and that is on the balance of probabilities if... If everything, if all players fire, I think Collingwood win. All right, both going for the pies. Uh, let's move on to Friday evening now in Adelaide. Port Adelaide taking on the, uh, at the moment, quite hapless North Melbourne, 7.20 local time, 7.50 in Melbourne. Um, Doesn't this tell you how fraught with danger it is to, you know, put all your all your um, eggs in the basket of a team who the previous year showed enterprise and promise and looked to be on the way up because that's how the AFL give hand out Friday night football. So basically, they've stripped St Kilda. St Kilda have no Friday night games. Well, you'd love to watch St Kilda now on a Friday night. Mm. They're ultra competitive and good fun, good to watch. North Melbourne have got a few though, and this game has stink written all over it. Yeah, I must say, I, you know, look. <laughs> I like North. I think people know I like North. And so I, do I. So I have a bit I. of a soft spot for them. And, uh, you know, I'm thinking, you know, would it be one of those great North performances, backs against the wall, where they get on the road and get a great win? But, 
Yeah, I'm not sure they've done that for a while. I'm, I think I'm thinking of days of yore. Um, their, and, their midfield is days of yore, honestly. Cunnington's, yeah. a, Cunnington's a trier. But, oh, he's better than a trier. No, he's very good. Look, he's good, but he's not getting any quicker or, or more penetrative. No, they're far too reliant on Higgins, really. Higgins, correct. Higgins is the polish. For everything. Higgins, correct. Yeah, he is. He's Goldstein's the, ever-diminishing circles for mine. Yep, yep, and Port, of course, had the dual-pronged attack of uh, Ryder and Lysette to go up against him there. And I think the other factor too, and we talked about Port and their flakiness, but having dropped that home game to Richmond, that would have stung. And again, they've now got on the road. Ter- it wasn't a hateful effort. No, no, but it would have stung. Yep. And they've gone on the road to Perth and pulled a great win. You can bet your life the message being hammered in by Kenny Hinckley don't all week could have your been. Lines yeah, this exactly. Time. Don't don't waste it. Don't take anything for granted. Correct. And let's back it up with a really solid performance. And yep. uh, I think Port are going to win reasonably comfortably. You? I tip Port, and I'm not looking forward to the game. I'll watch it, but I'm just not looking forward to it. All right, Saturday afternoon. It is the Q Clash uh, up at Metricon Stadium. Gold Coast taking on Brisbane. Um, Hasn't this lost a bit of luster well, in one week? Well, it certainly has. You had two teams absolutely spifflicated by their respective <laughs> opponents. Uh, so who can bounce back more convincingly? It's at the Gabba, isn't it? No, it's a Metricon. I said that. Oh, yeah. Actually, that makes sense. That makes a like, lot time. more sense given where they played their last game. Oh, this is an interesting one. You've got to give Gold Coast credit for having won three out of five. Absolutely. Everybody's going to point to the fact they did so last year and fell off the face of they the earth. They won one more for but the But I think they've the got year. more character this year. Yeah, I think they have. I think we had this discussion last week. Brisbane, on the other hand, have also won three from five. Yep. Seem to be the better listed team. Yep. And maybe, therefore, a little bit more disappointing in their capitulation last week. Uh, yes. I think I'm going to go for a, a, what clearly would be an upset. And also, they're, they're important outs, Andrews and Matheson. They are. For different reasons. One anchors the back line, and the other one remains busy for four quarters. Is it going to hurt as much against the Gold Coast forward, Sarah? Well, if Gold Coast are going to do anything, it's going to be maybe Peter Wright getting... He's a bit of a disappointment. He doesn't strike you as a bag full of goals, man, Peter Wright, does he? No, but who's going to play on him? Oscar McInerney. Uh, yeah. No, no, I see what you're saying. I, I, I can't who's, help. Who plays on him? Josh Walker. He's too short to play on him. Um, yeah, I don't know. Well, Darcy Gardner. They'll have, to, they'll have to, maybe they'll bring Cutler back in. I don't know. I don't know who plays on him. I've got to be honest. I can't say it's a thing I've given a lot of thought to. Well, it might be something that uh, Fagan has to give thought to about halfway through the game, and I'm going to tip Gold Coast. Uh, no, fair enough. And uh, Gold Coast uh, surprised the Lions last year as well. I hope um, Cutler's still on the list, by the way. <laughs> well, we'll just edit that bit out if oh, he is I'm pretty sure he is. I'm pretty sure he's... Uh, Carl's checking it I'm as we sure speak. I'm pretty sure he just can't break into the team. Carl stopped playing Tetris on his phone, and he's having a look at the uh, list He will us. confirm that Cutler is on the list, but unable to make the team. By the way, I've started playing Tetris again. Jesus, is addictive. You know you're playing too much... I know much. it's very 1990s. You know, you know you're playing too much Tetris when... Uh, You're in traffic and you start to see <laughs> gaps in the traffic that match up with Tetris shapes. I tell you what, it is good for clearing your mind, though. You know, like if you, anyway, um, I digress. Uh, I'm going for Brisbane. Um, what are you nodding for, Carl? 
Cutler's on the list. I'm sure he is. Cutler is on the list. Yeah, and he's fit. He just doesn't get picked. Maybe this is his week. Uh, I think Brisbane can rebound from their disappointing loss and um, have a satisfactory win. All right. Now, this game's got a bit of a buzz about it. Marvel Stadium, 4.35 Saturday afternoon. Your Saints, Viney, f- absolutely flying. Football prime time, that. Up a- yeah, it's a crap Horrible time. time. Yeah, it is. I hate- that's my least favourite time slot in the entire schedule now. People sometimes find out, oh, I did three-quarter time when they uh, turn on the radio in the drive through at Red Rooster. Yeah. There's a game on? Yeah, exactly. St Kilda, Adelaide, uh, Saints have been flying. Adelaide, very convincing win over Gold Coast. But as you rightly point out, is it, are they back or is it just a beating up of a, um, um, what is it, 20 pound weakling or or whatever you call it? Uh, I'm kicking, not, kicking sand in yeah, face of the Gold Coast. I, I thought there were some reasonable signs for the Crows, but you know what? I'm so dirty on them at the moment. I've fallen for that before, and uh, they've inevitably disappointed me. So um, I really like the look of your Saints. They've actually, you, we, before we came on, you were rattling off a list of the new parts of the machine. Just rattle them off again now in very succinct fashion. Well, an unlikely backline that has Ben Patton, um, Josh Battle. Now, Josh Battle reads the game really well. Succinct. There's also Callum Wilkie. Now, you couldn't have picked him in a million years. He's a mature-age recruit from North Adelaide. He's as comfortable playing AFL football as Rowan is playing Tetris, and that is pretty comfortable. Mm. He's just a, a sturdy man in the back line. There's Webster. Nathan Brown You know, tumbles over a few times, but he's a... a season practitioner. Geary is out maybe for the season, but it's one spot that St Kilda can cover because Daniel McKenzie didn't play last week, concussion. He is a halfback flanker. And the two best plays in the VFL the last two weeks have been Brandon White and Nick Hind, both halfback flankers. Now, they're different types of halfback flankers, but at least there's cover there. I think St Kilda have become a very honest test for teams. They've got a structure that now plays in week in, week out. They're hard to break down across the half-back line. And anybody who saw Adelaide against North Melbourne at Marvel Stadium will not be able to pick them. I'm going for St Kilda, who have some very stern tests in the weeks coming. So the one problem St Kilda might face is getting ahead of themselves. Worry about Adelaide, not about the tough games coming up. Yeah, I'm tipping the Saints as well. All right, let's move to the SCG 7.25. And uh, as we have the uh, Queensland derby, this is the New South Wales derby, Sydney v GWS, or are they still calling it Battle of the Bridge? And which party bridge is it? I don't think it's a Sydney Harbour Bridge. I think it's uh, it Story Bridge. bridge. No, no that's bri- Brisbane. Bridge of Versailles. <laughs> it's the Gladesville Bridge, I think, actually, now I think about it. Um, this has, uh, well, two teams both disappointing last week again. Um, but GWS, actually, who was less disappointing? Yeah, probably Sydney was less disappointing, given GWS supplying Canberra and against Frio, and uh, Richmond are a fairly strong opponent, opponent. Having said that, I think GWS is a side whose trajectory is definitely uh, heading further north than is the Swans. And the Swans' recent record at the SCG, absolutely abysmal. They've lost... Eight of their last 13 there from memory and five of the last six. And GWS absolutely smashed them in that elimination final last season. 
they'll be pretty keen to uh, redeem themselves after that fairly inauspicious performance against the Dockers in Canberra. I'm going for the Giants to win um, reasonably comfortably. They say that um, Aiden Kaur might be back. He's important for them. You say Giants comfortably. Yeah. Well, as comfortable as it gets against Sydney. Comfortable against Sydney is probably, you know, five goals. I'm going to have to tip the Giants because their forward line remains pretty dangerous, doesn't it? It's working. Cameron and Finlayson. The rest of the team, um, as you you said it perfectly, 5% off. Any team can be beaten by anyone. GWS, well and truly, a team that can be 5% off. But you know when they're least likely to be 5% off? Against Sydney. Against Sydney after a disappointing loss. Yeah. I'll say they'll be tuned in, tuned on, and four-pointed by siren time. GWS for both of us. And over the continent, we skip to Perth. Optus Stadium, 6.10 local time, 8.10 Eastern Seaboard time. There, I did it again. Fremantle taking on the Western Bulldogs. What will happen? Now, we always seem to have one game around where you go, ooh, that could get ugly. I reckon this one could get ugly too. Uh, Now, having said that, I'm not convinced of the reliability of the Dockers yet, but they were really impressive on the road. Hats off to them. Um, And pretty, you know, uh, what's the word? At least very ultra-competitive against West Coast in the derby the week before. Um. They're a bit like Port, really, aren't they? They're, you know, great win on the road. They have to frank that win uh, with a, a game that they should win at home, and I think they will. There is a bit of a highlight in this game. What is it? Well, I reckon there are three superior power midfielders playing in the competition at the moment. Power midfielders, five. Two of them went head-to-head last week. You'd have to say Cripps beat Bontempelli. Oh, yeah, yeah. Well, now Bontempelli can return fire against Fife. Yep. I think they're the three big bulls of the midfield at the moment, given that Martin's playing much of his football in the forward line. Yeah, no, fair And call. Colin would have a great range of midfielders, but not quite the oversized macho bull that these three are. So I'm looking forward to that clash. A battle within a battle that I think is too hard for the doggies to win, Frio for mine. And Fife has a lot more support around him that's functioning at a reasonable level than Bontempelli is. In fact, in that, just quickly back to that Bulldogs Carlton game, the guy who they left far too much to, I thought, the whole game was uh, Caleb Daniel. You know, poor little. He's he's running around like a yeah. headless crook in that back line. Well, he's isn't having he? to do everything. Yeah. Um, you know, he was disappointing. Was Lucky Hunter. Yeah, well, he wasn't alone. Uh, so, Fremantle comfortably for both of us. And on to Sunday. Hawthorne Carlton, two more great rivals from the uh, 70s and mainly 80s. Oh, those great games at Princess Park. Yes. Uh, Who, didn't Co-tons. matter which team Kevin Heath played for. <laughs> yes. Uh, Launceston, 3.20 Sunday afternoon. Not your typical time slot, although perhaps in a few years we will say that's typical. Um, Hawks beset by injuries and can't think uh, how many of them will come back. What do you reckon is going to happen? Well, you know, the, at the very end of the game, Hawthorne-Geelong, there was a bit of concern for the hip flexor of Ben McAvoy. Oh, yeah. That'd be a worry, wouldn't it? it even though would. Even though Segler waits in the wings, mm. they wouldn't want to have him out. 
Uh, Stratton, will he come up in time? Probably. You know, he was almost good to go. Yeah, you'd think if you concussed and, and you know, you're a chance to play one week and you don't, you're probably going to be right the next. Yeah, and I, I don't think there's many more returners. I think Liam Shields is uh, chance, is might he? be back. Okay. I don't think Burgoyne. No. Uh, no Frawley. No. Um, you, so yeah, gee, that's a it's a pretty fair advantage you got down there though, isn't it? And Carlton's record down there is awful. Actually, they almost beat them there. Was it last year? Did they? Oh, there was a game. God, I thought ver- they got smashed there. Oh, maybe the year before. Oh, there was a game very close, right down to the very very end of the game, that Carlton almost won. Our man Carl will check that up for us. But that was it. No, he's playing Tetris. He can't. He will. He'll find the game, and that was a close run thing. Ooh, can Carlton double up? Yes, I think they can. I tip Carlton. Oh, brave. Brave. Well, I think Hawthorne are just, they're just, you know, really, only professionalism and Clarko's... I've just got one response to those words, Fawny. What? You just can't write them off. Yeah, I think you can start to write them off. That back line, <laughs> that back line to me is looking pretty fragile. All right, so you're going the Blues to make it two on... End, and uh, yep. that will be a good tip if you get up. Who am I to argue, given you're thumping me in the tipping? And it wraps up with uh, what you would have to say in terms of the actual contest. Oh, no, it's not Collingwood. I was just thinking game of the round. But Geelong West Coast at GMHBO Stadium. Of course that's a game of the round. That's a ripper. Worse than Collingwood's. But Premier's on the rebound. Yeah. Oh, that's a fascinating game. 4.40 Sunday afternoon, the Cattery. West Coast, whose record down there is pretty abysmal. I don't know why I just had the flashback to that amazing game in 06 when the Cats were, I think, 51 points up and West Coast came from the clouds and won. Uh, it's only 13 years later and there's no players left, so there's absolutely zero relevance now. West um, Coast have been one of those teams that have almost conceded a few games down there by yeah. selection. Not this time. Yeah. Well, what happens? I think so long... Uh, they're just a sturdy team, aren't they? Now, they got beaten down there last week. Mm. And I did tip GWS to beat them. Yeah. It was one of my better tips of the season. <sighs> I can't tip West Coast. You know why I can't tip West Coast? Why? Because until I see them take some action, re their forward line, I think they're living in a fool's paradise. The darling Kennedy, you know... Until Willie Rioli comes back feeding the small forwards, it's not actually happening. They were The forward line did not work against Frio and did not work against Port. Mm. Save that very good game they had at the MCG, I don't think it's worked all year. Mm. And you cannot go to GMHBA without everything functioning. Or you need the miracle of your captain going down in the first minute to provide incredible inspiration. Tragic but helpful. No, I'm tipping Geelong. I'm tipping Geelong too. I thought they were, uh, you know, they haven't necessarily been reliable the last couple of years, but I thought that was a pretty efficient win over the Hawks on Easter Monday, and I reckon they'll back it up even against the reigning Premier, which will be interesting. West Coast will then be, what, 3-3, three and three, not the sort of start they would have envisaged to the year. That is our preview of Round 6. Time to wrap it all up. On Footyology... The final word. 
All right, a bit of a no media watch this week, so maybe this can um, be a short substitute. I alluded to this before when we were talking about BT um, willing the Hawks home in the comeback against Geelong and bringing Tim Watson into it and saying, are you on board, Tim? Are you with us, Tim? And yeah, okay, we're all having a bit of fun. But not just that, just this trend generally of commentators trying to predict outcomes and the moment a side that's behind kicks a goal, raising the possibility of a comeback. It just, I don't know, it all sounds a bit phony to me and I hate artificiality about anything to do with sport, but particularly commentary. And uh, spontaneity is what works best for me. I think you know exactly where I'm coming from on this phony. I don't like to feel like excitement or anticipation is being manufactured. And uh, therefore, I would plead, uh, undoubtedly, plea that will fall on deaf ears, but could our modern brand of football commentators resist from that and try something like just call the game? Uh, Novel approach, I know, but it it tends to work. It has worked historically. And uh, let the game create its own feel and vibe and atmosphere and let the excitement build naturally. That way, when it actually does become an exciting game, if it does, they don't all do, but the ones that do, it feels more natural. And uh, I think we're all uh, the winner as a result because something has evolved naturally. It's not being having all the spontaneity taken out of it and uh, rung to within an inch of its life. So that would be my final word, a plea to our commentary teams to just commentate the game. A couple of observations on an excellent final word by you, Rowan. Observation number one, don't you get a feeling that much of their... You just get the feeling, as Bruce would say, yeah. Don't you get a feeling that much of those last quarter theatricals, theatrics coming out of the commentary box, here come the Hawks, or should almost come with a... Well, there is an unspoken line that comes with each of those pieces of insincere commentary. Do you know what that unspoken line is? Implied but not said? Don't touch that dial. Oh, yeah, yeah. You know, it's a feeling of... Um, Making you want to touch the you, dial. You know, the boss, <laughs> the bosses want, want us to keep this game alive as long as possible for yeah. fear that somebody's going to turn to, you know, hot seat or wet seat or some seat. Part one. Part two, backing up what you say, did you see... I watched it live. Maybe my favourite sporting moment ever, really, was Tiger Woods winning the Masters this year. Ever. I was so... Do you want to know what my favourite sporting moment ever is? What? Um, Remembering I buried for St Kilda. Yeah. Um, I think in terms of dra- drama, one moment, yeah. uh, it's probably not what you think. It's uh, Sergio Aguero's last-minute goal for Manchester City in... Against QPR. April 2012. Yeah, I watched that game as well. That yeah. was... That was that was the theatre of the extraordinary. It, I mean, that was unbelievable. Unbelievable. Doesn't, Unbe- doesn't get and, any better And then the footage showing straight away yep. the Manchester United yep. supporters. Yep. Yeah. Maybe that is better. Yeah. But for and, for emotion, for beauty, for the beautiful response from the players, officials, yeah. family. Yeah. When Tiger Woods won it, yeah. we would have had five minutes with not a single word by a commentator. Yeah. And I was thinking to myself, could our, could our boys have shut up for five minutes? Who have we got that would have sat there? And it happened with a famous World Series win as well. 
where they just let the... Uh, was it Boston when they broke No, their... it actually wasn't uh, Boston because okay. I barracked for the Red Sox, but it was a, a similarly um, momentous occasion. Yeah. I don't think we've got those no, commentators. No, I, I think you're right, and it's funny you say that because uh, I saw several people tweeting exactly that same sentiment. It might have been Ned Baum, actually, who's a, a journo um, and uh, a good man, Ned, but uh, he, I think, bowled that up as well. Yeah, we just don't have that sort of uh, culture, do we, where less can be more. I think the soccer commentators get it better. And I mentioned the Aguero goal. Well, of course, uh, Martin Tyler screamed out, Aguero! But at the end of that, yeah. I think he left a good minute of just the crowd response and everything. Yeah. So there's that. Just very quickly, Carlton have played Hawthorne once at York Park. It was a three-goal win to Hawthorne, so not as close as I thought it was. And you being a football nut of the nuttiest type, yeah. Um, I'll give you 50,000. I'm the nuttiest nutter that ever nutted. I'll give you 50,000 Andrew Hamburgers with the lot. Yeah. One of the greatest prizes ever offered. With 50,000 cans of Passiona. Correct. Yeah. If you can tell me the only other venue that Carlton and Hawthorne have played at only once previously. Uh, you know what? I reckon I sort of know the answer, but I'm not going to get it right. It's somewhere in rural Victoria, oh, isn't yeah, it? Oh, yeah, you're right. Um, but hang on, let me guess, because uh, I've seen a photo of it. Uh-oh. That's no. a lot of burgers I'm going to have to pay uh, No, off. I don't think I'm going to get it. It's um, a tough spot. It's not... I don't really... Don't, don't. Uh, I don't really know where it is. Oh, really? I know it's somewhere, but it's not a, it's not a place that is commonly... I'm going to have a stab yeah. and say a chuka. Oh, you are so close. Because you, you you know why you're close? Because I think you can picture the word and you've got quite a few of the letters. But it's not a chuka. <laughs> it's funny, isn't it? You are so close to the prize of all prizes. But you can't tell me if it's geographical. Okay, tell me. Yeroa. Ah. Where's Yeroa? Uh, Ned Kelly country, I Yeroa. think. Yeroa. I think it's somewhere on the. I, I think it's in the general. I think it's, I think Ken, it's on uh, the Murray. I don't think so. I oh, think it's Kelly Country. I do. Or Glen Rowan, Violet yeah. Town. Yeroa. This is ending on a real sort uh, of disconnected and, note. And a very interesting note. And uh, it's a town in the Shire of Strathbogie in the northeast of Victoria. Ned Kelly went there for his holidays. Okay. We're talking up around. Uh, oh, yes, Strathbogie. What else is near there, Carl? Beechworth, we're talking, you know, sort of bright, Beechworthy sort of thing. So that's not, that could be Kelly Country, couldn't it? Riggs Creek. I what's, don't know. what's Riggs Creek? I don't know, a little town. Oh, yeah, it's near Violet Town. Yeah, yeah, oh, it is Kelly Country. Yeah, yeah, well, there you go. There's an interesting little digression at the end of an already too long podcast, and you've got another one, I can tell. Well, I've got my final word. I thought that was it. Yeah, that'll count. Okay. Uh, Because it's given me a good idea to finish this podcast. We talked about commentators needing to let the game uh, breathe. Uh, Dare I say it. Uh, In fact, before I say it, I'll say farewell. Thanks for listening. Uh, Thanks for your company. Enjoy round six, and hopefully we survive this incredible football odyssey we're in the midst of and we all come out the other side okay may your team win or at least be competitive we talked about commentators needing to leave some space around events to uh, give them context and uh, let them speak for themselves dare I say it we need the sounds of silence hello darkness my old friend I've come to talk with you again 
Because a vision softly creeping Left its seeds while I was sleeping And the vision that was planted in my brain Still remains within the sound of silence 